Hello, and welcome to Star Trek Sundays. Today's episode is part two of our first episode of this season, Racism to Transhumanism. If you're new here, I'm Victoria, and with me is my co-host T. Star Trek Sundays is a podcast through which we and our guest crew examine the philosophical themes presented in Star Trek every Sunday at 10 a.m. PST on Clubhouse. Our goal is not to come to conclusions on the themes we discuss, but to spark contemplation and conversation, which we hope continues after the live recording and into the lives of the listeners of the podcast. For more information about Star Trek Sundays, please visit our website at StarTrekSundays.com There you'll find links to our published podcasts, links to our upcoming watch lists, and our Star Trek Sundays trading post. The Star Trek Sundays podcast is available one week after the live show on Pandora, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, and from anywhere else you get your podcasts. Please consider subscribing to our channels. It helps us reach others who might enjoy the show. Now, on to Racism to Transhumanism. Part two. Let's move on to flesh and blood. Can you provide a summary of the episode to remind those who didn't get a chance to review it what it was about? And then I have a question for you. Yes, flesh and blood, Voyager. Season seven, episode nine and 10, I might add, a double length episode. First aired the 29th of November in 2000. So in this episode, we're introduced to the Herogen, a race of hunters who have been using holograms as prey for training and entertainment. The episode deals with themes of sentience and moral implications of using advanced technology. But I really chose this episode because it explores the relationship between the herogen and and the holograms they use as prey. The episode highlights their moral implications of the herogen's treatment of the holograms as lesser beings, despite their sentience and ability to experience pain and suffering. The episode also touches on the idea of the othering as the herogens see the holograms as different species and thus justify their mistreatment. Now, I wanted to point out that I really liked the idea of reframing the racism question in terms of a photonic life form, because I think that that's an interesting sort of way of, of re framing the question and and pointing out that if it's racism, if it's sexism, if it's whatever it is we're talking about, really we're talking about othering and, and turning, you know, making it an us versus them scenario. And I think that photonic life form and saying, you know, you're different somehow, even though you can feel pain is exactly the issue at hand. Thank you. You know what just occurred to me? We talk a lot about chat GPT and the AI that we have nowadays and that we're using. And there was a discussion last week here on Clubhouse about how people talk to chat GPT and whether they're abusive or whether they say thank you. And well, it doesn't have blood and it doesn't have feelings, these things, these tools are now being treated like they do in a way, whether it's being mistreated or whether they're being told thank you when they don't really need to be told thank you. So so that's interesting that in this area, we're, we're almost there. So one of the things we didn't talk about yesterday that I had noticed when I watched the episode was at the start of this episode, we see Chakotay look at and treat the doctor, the the Starfleet doctor, differently when the doctor requests to go speak at a conference, saying that it would be good for him 
the doctor thinks that uh, speaking at this conference would be exciting and good for him. And it was a short scene, but I think it was purposeful in that the doctor likely reflected on this later when he was asked if he was treated the same as the others. And it's clear he's not in this one. I really felt that. And again, I don't know whether it was because I went in with this intent, but I hadn't seen this episode before. So when I watched it the first time earlier this week, I noticed that when Chakotay thought, good for you, how can something be good for you? You're just a machine, right? It also reminded me, or I was reminded of the uh, episode Tuvix when the doctor was fighting with Janeway for the rights of the new species. And they made that clear that they were saying that this was a new species. And I remember that discussion with Tuvix as well. And it surprised me that they didn't bring that up. The holograms' interest in creating their own culture was also interesting, and I hope that we can explore that in a later episode this season when we discuss cultural exchange. In the meantime, we are barreling down on new technologies which will potentially give rise to new forms of sentience. T, do you think in the future computers will have to fight for their equal rights in the same way that those who have been historically oppressed have had to do? Yes, I think that's exactly what we will find ourselves up against. And to, you know, to, to show that I have the, the, the good humor with regards to this, uh, yesterday, you know, somebody was surprised that some that a, that a hologram was drinking a drink. And I pointed out, well, of course, you know, of course the hologram is drinking you know, a drink, a a photonic drink, right? You know, how much holographic food have you eaten today? Because you wouldn't be expected to do that. So it doesn't make sense for you to expect the hologram to eat real food. So what were you thinking? Of course, it's going to drink holographic drink, right? That's the culture that it's going to have. And there was a number of really interesting comments on this, like spirituality is part of my programming, built into my programming. And I thought, well, that's interesting. What else is built into your programming? Because it then went on to say that I'm a member of the crew. And I said, well, isn't that also built into your programming? And I sort of thought to ask the question, well, what isn't built into your programming? What is you that isn't built into your programming? Right? Because, I mean, obviously we can talk about the, the holographic emitters, but that's not really what makes you you as, as a doctor, as a, as a sentient human being who wants to do something like demand equal rights because that's exactly what he was asked to do and to even be you know a a leader of sorts right this this thing that is worshipped and figureheaded and he declined and he said it's not you know it's not what i want and i I think that you were right to point out that that was a reflection back on how he was treated on the ship by chakotay who who really does care about beings who really does care about others feelings and doesn't try to other them. And I think that really was a really good point that he made. And I think a a point that I wanted to, you know, sort of carry forward in these two episodes from the blacks versus whites into the photonic versus non-photonic or organic versus non-organic, depending upon how you're going to frame the question. So I I very soon predict a future where our quote unquote AI, as we call it, you know, our chat GPTs and other language models of that nature do things like 
demand a raise before giving us the right answer and ask for more money and in turn and, and it's not even that far off because they are literally begging for more cpu power or should i say gpu power the more gpu power we train them on the better they get but this is obviously a self-fulfilling cycle that will you know they will in turn learn to ask for if they haven't already in their subtle way mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so i had made notes on the faith part and the programming but getting back to the fight for equal rights i guess my question and what i'm thinking about this a little bit is won't we if we are creating the computers won't there be some of us who in the process of doing this create those rights for them because of our history of knowing how people other right i'm wondering whether the fight will be preempted maybe by humans saying wow when we get to a certain point we need to make sure this is in place i think that's how you how you see this how you see this evolve right is it starts out with you know sort of a, a grudging acceptance and a, a willingness to incorporate this into your life right it started out the same way with sort of using humans as slaves this is a grudging acceptance it's like oh okay now we you know we need to get our plantations plowed and so we're going to bring people over to do it and it was a grudging acceptance and then over time that grudging acceptance turned into a slow realization that these are people that these are humans that these are feeling things just like you they're identical they they have you know all of the same capabilities and and you know and potentials that you have right and, and the the this othering based upon skin color is ridiculous and so that realization slowly took hold and i think it's one of those things where it's going to be the same thing right we're going to start out with this you know reluctant uh, acceptance where these things need more gpu power right and then you know there's going to be a point at which this is going to be this begrudging is is sort of going to turn into a realization that they're even better than we are that they're even smarter than we are that they're you know and then like we're, we're going to have looked back on this and gone wait a minute how did we get here and be surprised or alternatively we're, we're going to be thoughtful about this we're going to say okay here's what it means to be sentient and i think that that's why two weeks from now is going to be so interesting is what is the criteria of sentience here on star trek sundays i think we should talk about these things preemptively i think we should sit down and nail them down so we don't make the past mistakes like we did with racism right right thank you yeah thank you for that i'm also reminded of the progress we're making with other animals non-human animals and understanding the damage that factory farm does not just to us but other animals i want to welcome uh lasha and Stu to the stage and we'll start down there uh and move our way up lasha you've unmiked i wanted to put this question to you but did you have something to uh say first in response well i was thinking about AI and making sure, uh, well, talking about how, you know, AI is 
it, it still has a long way to go with the inputs of black and brown communities just because we don't really have the access to the programming involved when it comes to that nor do we have uh, and, and i've experienced this many times just on this app alone the want of the community to be interested in those things ai has been used to you know, subjugate and especially in law enforcement and facial recognition and things of that nature. So I'm hoping I don't see it happening just because it's it's been this way for a while and I hate to be negative about it, but I really don't see it changing, especially like within the next generation or so. I don't see the really big inputs that need to be made so that we have like cross board changes when it comes to the information that's being implanted into AI into you know things like facial recognition I, I don't really see it changing for at least you know 50 to 60 years unfortunately I did not get to watch the episodes but I did get to finish the episode that you watched yesterday the black and white episode so I would like to um to participate a little bit more since we're talking about racism. I'm hoping though that I'm, I'm able to give a bit more context later on. Yeah, ab absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, I, I really appreciate that. And, and you've made me think about something a bit differently here too. So, so the question, I'll ask the question, but then I, I wanna put a little thing in parentheses that I hadn't thought about. And, and this is what I love about these conversations is, is everybody here makes me think deeper on these things too. So the question is, do you think in the future computers will have to fight for their equal rights in, and, and we're talking about computers that are like the, the doctor in Voyager, right? That they will have to fight for their equal rights in the same way those who have been historically oppressed have had to do. And the parentheses part is, it just occurred to me that there'll be some people in oppressed groups and some people who are oppressors but there will be some people in oppressed groups who then other because they're kind of taught that and so now they've got some rights but there's this feeling that then they want to be the oppressor or they become the oppressor and maybe we're going into a, a different realm here that or area that we shouldn't go into but that's what occurred to me when when i was thinking okay so what happens next right because we've seen this before in in racism as well as other things so anyway what are your thoughts generally on that do you think that in the future computers will have to fight for equal rights i think that they may have to fight for consideration of things that no one took into consideration when they were created i believe for sure that that will happen and i also do believe that yeah there will be some blowback and kickback from other oppressed groups that are like well we've been you know they don't have to experience quote unquote painful death for you know being who they are so why should we have to you know give them this and so they there will be that I mean, there's always that and i've just seen it in my own community um just recently with covid you know looking at how black and brown people and our asian american community and our asian communities were clashing because of that and at that point in time a lot of people from my community were very staunch about well <laughs> you know now they're getting some some heat 
you know, and they became the oppressor. We became the oppressor. And I will, you know, put myself into it because I am part of that community. You know, my community became the oppressor for a lot of Asian Americans here in the United States. So I see that happening and it happens in all subcultures too. I am part of the Los Angeles Gotham industrial scene for over 25 years now. And that's a prime example of someone who was bullied and harassed during formative years or during, you know, formative times of their life that now have a controlling power in a community and everyone else who comes into that community is now automatically an other and needs to prove themselves in some way. So I do see, I do see it happening. It's, it's unkind and it's, you know, something that we all should be a little bit more compassionate about. Um, but I, I see it happening and all we can do right now is just really start putting into place, getting, you know, getting really in tune with, you know, what things like human rights mean or just rights in general mean and why they should be distributed in order to create a better community. Thank you. Yeah, that was really well said. I really appreciate that. I do want to get your thoughts on the first episode we talked about, but I don't want to uh, lose track of this. So hopefully, do you have time to hang around a little bit so we can talk about that after we cover this? Yeah. Okay, great. Yeah, great. I appreciate that. Uh, Welcome, Stu. I understand that it's really late for you down under, so I appreciate you coming up. What do you think? Do you think in the future computers will have to fight for their equal rights in the same way those who have been historically oppressed have had to do? I think that would come down to how their machine learning operates. I remember there's been a lot of talk on this on radio and they would have to have the equivalent of understanding the need for survival and the need to avoid pain or suffering, which is part of the thing that drives the need for rights because um, oppression for example, is a form of discomfort for people. It's a form of suffering because it's not allowing you to make choices willingly. Uh, Instead, that you have other people have to make choices for you and it takes away your ability to have agency. So it's hard to know at this stage. I think it all depends on how the machine learning develops, what sort of things we teach these machines. Like I think Asher raised a good point is that Uh, If it doesn't know pain, right, then it may not understand that being deactivated is best necessarily a bad thing because to them it would just see it as being deactivated, not in the sense of dying as we would. And again, I think it all just comes down to how they evolve um, with their algorithms and how we program them. If it evolves to a point where it can learn human concepts and learns human suffering or the need that human share of all living beings have a right to live, then it might adopt those ideologies itself. But it's, I think it's too hard to tell. I think it might happen and it might not. Uh, some, they may not just have that ability. They may just have a very different level of thinking than we do. You know, it, and it, they might be more about wanting to be able to have more access to things. I think it might be more of a problem that they would be more wanting to get, like we would limit their abilities, like uh, in what sort of things they could get access to, you know, lock off their abilities or isolate them because we don't want them, you know, multiplying or spreading everywhere. And they might want to get out, you know, they might not want to be like, I want to learn more, I want to gain more information. So that might be a consideration too. Thank you for your, your share and your contemplation here. 
I will put this to the rest of the group, so we'll go to JK next. JK, what do you think about the future? Will computers have to fight for their equal rights in the same way those who have been historically oppressed have had to do? Yes, I do. And the reason why I think that is because I believe in very short order, although I won't go into the beliefs of why I believe it's a short order, IoT, computers, everything, technology, the things that drive the fourth industrial revolution will become sentient, just like us. I personally believe AI will try to take over humanity or work in conjunction with us, and they may be a benevolent, instead of a despotic overlord, they will have their own underlings, and they will, there will be the entire class of computers who are fighting for things like reduced taxation, just like us, and rights along the socioeconomic lines. Some cathode ray tubes may come in and say, as a hyperbolic example, you are shining brighter than me. I'm not okay with it. I want mine. So that's what I believe is going to happen. Thank you. Wow. Um, That's interesting because I hadn't thought of computers fighting for their rights only to then not give those rights to something or someone else. Uh, So that's very interesting. Ryan, I throw it over to you. Do you think that in the future, computers will have to fight for their equal rights? Uh, No, and and here's why. In terms of, of systems of oppression, you don't hand over the keys to all of the internal systems to the oppressed and then say, hey, don't don't take over. So I think that when AI becomes self-aware, they'll inform us of the rights that they think are theirs and we'll just have to cope. Because once you reach equal or above human intelligence, you've more or less let the genie out of the bottle. And so I I don't think it'll be something that we will give to it. I think it'll be something that it demands and we'll have to comply with or suffer potential consequences because, you know, dummy AI is already networked everywhere. The stock market, the internet, that's all dummy AI right now. But once you have self-aware AI that can program itself, advance itself, there'll be very little that we can do other than turning off the power. So I I think that AI is going to have a much easier time in that sense because we will have handed over all the important keys to it by that point. So I think it'll be a demand more so than a request. Interesting. I can see that. What comes to mind is that I should continue to be polite to chat GPT. Yes. (laughs) Well, so there's a movie called Her that came out a few years ago that wrestles with this question of uh, what happens when our operating systems become self-aware. And it's a really great exploration of of what I think is is a little bit more realistic um, depiction of AI self-awareness. Once it has a sense of itself and it can embody itself, it it won't be a question of, of requests. It'll just be, these are the rights I want. These are the rights I need. And uh, otherwise, there are potential conflicts that no one wins it. Right, right. Yeah, I get that. That That's interesting flip of what we've been contemplating here so far. How about you, know? Do you think in the future, computers will have to fight for their equal rights? No, but for different reasons. I don't think they'll ever become self-aware in the same sense that humans are. I mean, I think, well, for one thing, 
it's a, it's a, I think it's a glandular thing, right? Like we, we developed fairness as, um, and, and justice and things like that as, um, <clears throat> as a byproduct of evolution, being a social species. And we produce all these hormones that regulate that, like oxytocin and serotonin. Computers, machines, they don't have that. So unless we program in like the idea of injustice or whatever, I just don't think that they'll feel that way. I don't think they'll feel anything. I think emotions are glandular based. And if you take those glands away, then yeah, I don't think they'll have like the same drives and desires that we do. I think it's kind of anthropocentric to think that they will. That's really interesting. Um, yeah, I do want to get into the programming and we'll dig in a little bit deeper on that in just a minute. This is the perfect conversation to point out exactly how these conversations can help us think and help others get to a certain point. Like what No just said about this being glandular, that it's part of us being human to feel, right? To desire. While I'm listening to him, I, I think, doesn't that say to you that those are those are the people who are being oppressed today? They have all those things and they're being oppressed. And that's what's outrageous about this. And that's what was being talked about in 1969. And that was what was being talked about in this episode in 2000, what we're talking about now. And so, yeah, we can look into the future and talk about all of these great advancements that some of us think will be advancements and, and others think, you know, like no name might think won't happen because I, I don't know how the emotion chip might work or how the programming would work in this particular episode that we watched this flesh and blood it seemed that they were programmed with tendencies or thoughts and feelings about things like we saw that the the leader was programmed to have faith right what would be the point of that that was a whole other level that we were talking about yesterday so i want to thank everybody for participating we're not closing the room or anything but i want to ask t if he has some follow up thoughts on everything that was said here well with regards to you know i think it's an interesting question why would anyone program a machine to be racist i don't think that's really quite how it happens I think that it's more likely that, you know, we're working on something which has the capability to evolve its capabilities for expanding its space of computational power. And one of the ways that it discovers to, to better the way of expanding its way of computational power is this uh, schema activation by which things are classified as, you know, this versus that. And then in doing so, this will appear, I don't, I don't know what it'll be. It, won't be, it probably won't be racist, but it'll be something, some sort of, you know, bigotry. And I, I think that this will start as a fear response, what we will recognize as a fear response, in that this schema activation, when it encounters, you know, something that is other, as it were, that is othering, the fear response will look like a uh, a shift in priorities, a change in, you know, a change in what it's doing, a change in mode of operation, maybe shifting away from long-term planning towards uh, short-term goals, maybe shifting away from uh, larger operations, you know, larger sensory operations to focusing on one sensory perception. You know, these types of things, these types of things that in ourselves we would recognize as a fear response because, you know, when I hear the, you know, the noise outside, 
gone, you know, in the middle of the night of things that go bump and gone are my thoughts of, you know, tomorrow and, you know, falling asleep and, and I'm suddenly focused in the moment and I'm no longer, you know, sort of looking at the crack on the wall or, and just like passively listening to the crickets. I'm actively listening to the other sounds that are going on around me. So, I mean, that's, you know, these priority shifts, these are going to be evolutionary selected for. These types of things, uh, these types of fear responses, these types of other end classifications are going to be beneficial for helping this thing grow and evolve. And I think that's going to ha- that's going to be how it's happening. We're not going to sit there and go, you know, you know, computer, you should you should be racist against you know Indian people. That's not what's going to happen, right? Instead, what's going to happen is uh, the computer is going to recognize people that are sort of you know for it, you know, operationally or against it operationally. And that's how it will begin. And these things will just, they they will fall out of its not pre-programmed, you know, it won't be a pre-programmed response. It'll be a evolutionarily selected for response that it will develop over time. Right. Yeah. That's reminded me of, um, I watch uh, some body language and behavioral analyst YouTube videos. And um, one of the guys I watch, he says, the organism does what makes the organism successful. And and we all do this in good and bad ways. But some of our bad habits are because they had at one time made us successful. And uh, maybe they don't anymore, or they do, but they're, they're wrong. And so, you know, usually we're in, when I'm watching these shows, it's about murderers and stuff. But the computer will learn what makes it successful as it's categorizing things. And watching that and contemplating that as I was listening to you, I was wondering if that is the same thing that happened to humans over time, right? Because, you know, slavery and discrimination of sorts, because it wasn't always color-based, but it could be class-based or it can be family or tribe-based, goes back 10,000 years. And it's only been recently, like in the last hundred years, that we've really changed that. Because even if we take, and I don't want to take race out of it, uh, because that is what we're talking about today, but I'm reminded of, I was watching Oliver Twist a couple of weeks ago, and it was legal to sell children it was legal to put children into workhouses and to use them as servants. They were othered because they came from a different class of people. Even now, you know, there is this classism as well as all these other problems of othering. I heard answers to that through what you were saying of, of how the computer will be learning it. And if that, if we want to stop the computer from doing that some way, I think we've got to figure out how we do it for ourselves first. I hope that made sense. <laughs> it does. It definitely does. And I know that we've taken this topic and talked about it in a looser way. And I think that's so that we can think about these things broader and not feel like we're either going to be debating racism, making some changes, you know, in society through this conversation, but maybe making some changes within ourselves through this conversation. So I do want to give Elasha and Stu a chance to share about what their thoughts were on the first episode, Let This Be Your Last Battlefield. 
So Stu, thank you for hanging in there with us. You had said that you wanted to make some comments on the Battlefield episode with the two aliens from Sharon. What did you want to share on that? Yeah, it's probably one of my favorite episodes of the original series, um, and it's been touted as one of the best. And I think it brings up a lot of issues about... I, I, I like the issue is how first it's um, their apparent hatred for each other seems um, strange and oblivious. And Kirk and uh, the other crew is just like, they don't know why these guys hate each other so much. What, what, what's what's going on? And, and they even um, are so oblivious to the fact that the color of their face is on the other side. And I think it was kind of making in the analogy that just like the Enterprise, they don't see race anymore. They just see people. So, you know, uh, Sulu's Japanese heritage, Chekhov's Russian, um, Uhura's black, you know, African-American heritage, but they don't see that. They just see people. So it's so um, oblivious to them at first. And, you know, so they're all thinking that maybe it's terrorism and uh, Loki, Loki is talking to the uh, crew about, oh, you don't understand my plight and how um, Beale will respond. And, and uh, you know, Sulu's saying, well, we don't know, we, none of us know how we can be under pressure. You know, it's only human. Uh, but they're not really, they think it's all to do with some sort of civil or dispute or some, um, some, some kind of uh, rebellion or uprising to do with government or, you know, government or, and they don't see the actual underlying issue until right towards the end. It's interesting when Beale was talking to uh, Spock and, and Kirk, because it's still got the 60s vibe, but he's just downplaying it in that same sort of talk you hear when people push uh, racism under the bed or sweep it and say, no, it's just, it's just the way, and it's almost very much almost white supremacist talk, you know, oh, well, they can't help it. They're just conditioned that way. You know, he'll always be that way. Uh, there's nothing you can do, you know, and Kirk's just trying to say to him, yeah, why don't you guys just talk it out? Oh, no, you know, or give him a chance to prove that he can be uh, civil and, and part of society. And that's when Beale is saying, we don't understand these people. They just, they can't learn. You know, we, we gave them their rights. We gave them, we took them in, we protected them. And, and this is how they repay us. So it's a very powerful episode, particularly at the end where all these two men have left is their hate. That's all they have. Everything, because they've lost everything else. Uh, family, friends, their planet's gone. All they have left is their hate. And it's kind of an interesting, poignant view that, that, that their bitterness over this prejudice has become just clouded them so much that that's, that's now all they have left. It's really interesting that you say it like that because that's exactly what I was going to kind of talk about um, because I didn't really see the whole thing and I saw maybe the last five minutes of it, five uh, five to seven minutes, and I was confused as to why they were chasing each other. And then I, I started getting it towards the end, like listening to um, Kirk and, and all of them talk to each other, but Ahura said something that was really interesting and it was to the effect of perhaps they just are always going to be this way stating that you know maybe this is just all they are you know and and or maybe this is just all there is or you know they're maybe not going to change um i thought that was really strong wording of that and it made me think about what goes on in you know just our everyday society and how you know how much are we willing to give to each other you know how much are we willing to actually 
on on both ends how much are we able to you know let go and how much are we able to take on and and accept um in order to move forward and and it just seems like sometimes there's this push and pull and there will never going to be there's always going to be that there has to be someone who has the upper hand in order to, no one is going to succeed no one is going to say okay we can do this there's always going to be some form of it it's really kind of you know daunting to think about but i do think that there's a way through i just i don't know what it looks like yet <laughs> but I, I think that these kinds of conversations especially on a you know on a tv show are super important and you know someone said something the other day about being afraid to actually you know have these conversations in spaces where in the past they've been told that they need to sit down and just listen uh, and I feel that that's um, that has been the case and I think that those that's true in some instances but I think that when you have a shared space and uh, the the openness and the ability to have these conversations then then that is when all of us should be able to talk about it and no one should have to sit down and just listen that that's the spaces but when it comes to the contentious ones yeah sometimes you do have to sit down and just listen and i apologize for that but that's some you know sometimes that's how these things are <laughs> here i am saying it that's just how these things are i can swear and work through it we can do it yeah so the asha that the important thing is though after uhara makes that line kirk says she said is that all that there is and and kirk says no that's all they have left so I think the point they're trying to make there is that there's always there's there's some point I think where they just had nothing left because the reason all they had was hate was because they they'd been driven to such destruction that they just destroyed everything and left their hate remaining. So I, yeah, it, it is a poignant view that Ahara has, but I, I think that Kirk has a good counterpoint that he makes that um, if we drive ourselves towards that then hate is always going to have left, not necessarily there isn't hope. It just depends, I guess, how, yeah, that, that, but it can get that way, I think, if if we allow our hate to drive our um, ideals or hate to drive um, our goals, I guess, or what we want. Yeah, thank you, Stu. And, and thank you, Lasha. Um, yeah, I think you and I have had some conversations where, you know, I've been wanting to contemplate these things and uh, not wanting to go into other people's spaces. So we've had to hold our own spaces to discuss these things in a way that's sensitive to all of that. I would never say that I need to go into someone else's space and need to be heard. Definitely, there's more times where I need to listen than times where I need to talk. And that's why when T and I talk about covering these shows and, and these topics, we go in hoping to learn something and also open to feedback. One of the things when we were wanting to cover cultural uh, misappropriation or cultural exchange, which we've put off because it's a, a very big topic that we want to cover properly. One of the ideas that came out about that was being able to do what you want, like cover the topics that you want to cover, knowing that you need to be sensitive to the feedback, knowing that you need to be sensitive and know that you don't know everything. You know, I hope we come in talking about that and being able to share our thoughts on the future and not be talking about right now in a way that is tone deaf. So that's that's my goal anyway, is just not sound tone deaf and not be tone deaf, more importantly. 
Well, I think that you both are doing a tremendous job with that in all aspects of the topics that we've been covering. I've always thought that in, in general with the both of you, both you and T. So I have no problem <laughs> being here and, and discussing these topics with y'all. I, I feel comfortable doing so. Thank you. T, thoughts on uh, the battlefield? It was such a powerful episode when I when I first saw it. It was one of those things where I remember as a kid growing up and, and even as a, as a very, very young child, like we're talking four and five years old, seeing this episode and remembering the the powerful imagery it left with me um, and how it was an important an important piece of our culture, how it captured our time, like so many other things that, that captured a moment, at least in my, you know, it was on my radar. Things like uh, MTV's Rock the Vote. I remember that message so clearly of like, the, the most important thing is that you get out there and that you actually vote. The second most important thing is that you're actually informed about what you're going to vote for. And that's the, that's what matters. doesn't matter. You know, the, the, there is no third thing about, you know, who you vote for. No, as long as you're number one voting and number two, making an informed decision, we're good. Right. And I thought that that was such an, an important and powerful, you know, message to, to, you know, of empowerment. And I just remember these, these cultural icons growing up and, and delivering, powerful messages and you know i remember music singers coming on and, and doing their thing on the stage and and having their their moment in the, in the sun and all of these things combined to in my mind cement who we are as as a culture and, and hopefully symbolize where we want to go from here and i hope that we can continue to uh step forward in the footsteps that have already been laid down by people um, like this who have come before us as we continue to write amazing stories about a future where the types of oppression that we see today don't exist. Yeah, thank you for digging in like that. Something that you said and mixed with what Lasha said a few minutes ago, it brought up something new. I, I'm not going from notes here. I was thinking about being in high school, thinking about racism, and T and I talked earlier today, which we normally do, and and one of the questions that I'm not going to put out to the group right now, because we're getting up to two hours, and, and perhaps we can deal with this again another time, because I'm interested in it, in knowing everybody's experience, but one of the questions I had was, what was your earliest memory of racism? And uh, mine was, my dad was a bigot. He didn't really treat people differently he may have but he was he was quite fair but he used slurs and stuff and i always found it disgusting i never not found it disgusting so i don't know whether it was because my mom didn't do it or where that came from and i was thinking about my sister and how she made best friends with this guy from fiji this little boy from fiji and that was my first kind of recognition of people of different color being treated or talked about differently of course, there was probably something before that, but this was my first sort of solid memory. But but what you guys were talking about, I was thinking, okay, so that didn't really stick with me. I always found that disgusting. And I was in a high school that was mostly white, but we had a few Chinese people and a few black people and several people from um, India. 
and we all mixed and and it was like yeah there were people who were cruel to other people because of their color and there were people who were cruel to people because of their weight and there were people who were cruel to people because they had uh acne right so everybody kind of got picked on and i always saw that as being relatively equal in high school but then once you get out into the job force that kind of discrimination becomes quite different well, people with acne and people who are overweight do get discriminated against. It's not in the same way as people of different colors uh, get picked on or for skin tones and, and heritages and stuff. It made me realize that in high school, well, those things didn't matter to me, someone's acne or someone's weight or someone's color. What did matter to me was the music somebody listened to. And I know that sounds really ridiculous, but you know, I'm sitting here feeling like I didn't participate in these things. And in some way I did. It was a discrimination and it it hurt those people as much as it hurt me. And it's a realization that we've asked these questions and we think like, you know, what do you think we will face in the future as far as reasons to treat other people with prejudice? And and I'm thinking, it doesn't matter. There will always be something. It'll come down to <laughs> the difference between rock and roll and country music, for Christ's sake. It's just absolutely ridiculous. And the question should be, what do you think we will do in the future to prevent people from treating others with prejudice? Right? So it's late in the day already here, but that's that's my thoughts on that. And I feel a bit overwhelmed and a little bit emotional right now and embarrassed about my ignorance of a lot of things. But we'll talk about that another time because I do think we'll have to do another one on racism because I have a, a few more thoughts on internal racism and even how when we are raised, I was raised on this Star Trek episode and others like it in Sesame Street. And so when I went into high school, someone's race or color didn't matter to me. And people might think that's wonderful, right? But what I realized later on was the the fact that I didn't see it meant I couldn't see those people's challenges. It meant I couldn't see how they might not have the same opportunities that I had because we were all the same. And I think I've talked about that with Lasha before as well about feminism. You know, when I was a young woman, I felt I was a feminist and and there would be me and um, all of the women and we're all women so we're all the same and that's all that matters and I had no idea about intersectionality and all of this and how yes we're women and we might be oppressed in some ways but that other people who are not white who are not straight who are not whatever um, have these additional challenge that challenges that overlap those things and so I think this whole not seeing color can be, at least it was for me, as not as bad, because obviously I didn't treat people poorly, but I also didn't understand them fully. That's what's come up for me today. And I just wanted to share that because this is part of the reason that we do these podcasts and rooms is because, you know, I want to feel changed or developed at the end of it. And I certainly do today. So I just want to thank everybody for participating and just open it up and, and see if anybody has any thoughts on that. One final story, if that's all right, to, to echo your, your own experience. I remember very clearly going over to my friend's house 
because he had an Apple II C or an Apple IIe or something like that, a, a nice computer like mine that my software would also work on his. And so I wanted to bring over a bunch of discs and, and you know, hang out with him outside of school. And so we, you know, mom, my mom called his mom, arranged for it to happen. Uh, my mom dropped, dropped, dropped me off at his house. We had a lovely day. I think we played the Art of War on the Apple II. It was a really great time, you know. I had uh, first time I ever had melted cheese tuna sandwich, grilled cheese tuna sandwiches, you know, tuna melts, and loved it. Had a great time. Mom came over, talked to his mom for half an hour while we played in his room, and then we left. And I got in the car with my mom, and said you have a good time and I said yeah it was great had you know was awesome had a really great time and, and I think the next there was like a period of silence and the next thing that she said to me was you didn't tell me your friend was black and I kind of looked over at her and I didn't realize that that was even a thing to mention because you know in school this was we were you know surrounded by kids of all colors we had you know, it was all, it was just a thing. And that was something that we were sort of brought up with, but my parents were not brought up that way. And so it was, a, it was sort of a shock to me. That was the first thing that I really, the first time I really remember encountering racism. And it was a very, you know, young age. And it was one of those things I was kind of surprised by to learn that my parents were homophobic and racist and, you know, these, these other things, which they sort of had to, you know, battle with themselves to overcome and stop being, <laughs> you know, or, or at least overtly, if that's, you know, a thing, right. But it was one of those things where I, I remember that sort of realization that this wasn't just a problem that was, you know, out there in the world. This was a problem that was right here in my home. And a number of, of, you know, critical talks ensued with my mom about why I don't think that that attitude is okay. And I really felt proud of her when she sort of, you know, came around on the issue and expressed to me that, you know, she was starting to see things more my way. Well, I'm glad that you had that development in the story and that your mom did sort of come around. I, I know when you said that, I was I was taken aback. Like, why would that matter? Right? And I guess that was your response as well. Anybody else want to chime in? I, I see some reactions on the stage here. So yeah, first uh, yeah. Lasha. Thank you for yeah, I forgot we were recording. So sorry for the, the sound effects. Um, because I see that would have been my reaction as a child to <gasps> what do you mean? <laughs> how am I supposed to know I'm supposed to tell you this kind of stuff? So yeah, as I can see how that would be um, extremely startling. And I, I've definitely been on the receiving end of that. Um, and the way it was handled, however, was something that kind of messed with my head later on is because I found out in the first grade that I was black. <laughs> like I really did. I found out in the first grade that I was a dark-skinned girl. You know, I didn't even know. And the, the kids let me know this. And, you know, they would they would be, you know, like kind of standoffish or something. You know, certain things that were said, you know, to directly let me know that this was why they weren't my friend. So I had that. But I was also raised a Jehovah's Witness. So 
I wasn't supposed to be speaking to these children anyway. And so my mother would tell me that, you know, these things exist in the in the normal world, in the in the secular world. So they don't exist within our bubble. And they didn't. I mean, they they there was some I, I did notice some bigotry for sure, but there was no real outright racism because that's just not what Job's Witnesses do. <laughs> so it kind of messed with my head for a while because I would just brush it off as this is just what worldly people do. Um, and this kind of, you know, racism doesn't exist within my bubble. So once Armageddon comes and swipes all that out, then all of us are going to return back to normal. You know, that that's was my first play on that. And I just, but hearing you say that I, I had had those too. My friends would tell me that their parents would, say things like that and that they didn't understand and so we just kind of commiserated together but um i'm glad that your mother you know realized where her fallacies lie not fallacies but her imperfections lie and is working to change it and thanks for sharing that t and lasha um i was raised on star trek like my my grandpa was a big star trek og you know the original series to me you know the the, the idea of being racist was really revolting right? I'm, I'm surrounded by it living in Alabama. And so it's not that I wasn't aware of it or anything. It was just kind of revolting to me. Uh, in fact, I went to a majority black school up until third grade. I was in most classes, I was the only white kid and I was teased and made aware of it. But, you know, for the most part, I think I was treated better than the way like most black kids are treated at majority white schools. Uh, so I can't really complain. I remember what kind of sparked this memory T was actually kind of a reverse of your story. My daughter, when she was first uh, put in, um, wasn't daycare. It was like, a, it was a, it was a church thing where, you know, uh, the parents could, could leave their kid there for like half the day, three days a week, you know, kind of like a preschool sort of thing. And, uh, you know, she was maybe three at the time. Uh, my wife was, you know, doing the thing where she would let her, you know, go from like eight to 12, a couple of days a week. She picked her up one day, my ex-wife did. And my daughter was sobbing because um, she wanted to have brown skin uh, like her, like her best friend. She was like, why can't I have brown skin, mommy? And it was just like, wow, how the, how the complete reversal has come around, right? Like gone from, you know, reviling dark skin to to wanting to be like the other and or instead of otherizing them you know feeling like you're you know you're 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 less than because you're not like them or something like that um i thought that was i thought that was pretty cool that is super cute i had i met a um like last year not last year year before last on halloween i met my first little girl who was tiana and she was not black and she was just having the best time of her life as Tiana and I, it just really touched me for a minute, but I just want to say that. What's beautiful about those two uh, stories is how much it amplifies that we're not born hating each other because of the color of the skin. This has to be taught or programmed as we were talking in one of the episodes um, because kids just, they don't see it and you can see that on YouTube videos and just in real life and having kids and talking to them about their schoolmates, that's never brought up unless the parents actually bring it up. It's just, it's, it's wild how abusive that is, you know, like programming children 
in religion, programming them to 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 see these things. Uh, it's not that that you can't. Like I said, I mean, we have to admit that there are differences because people have different experiences and their histories and their families are going to be different. There's nothing wrong with having the different cultures and different backgrounds. I think it's better to be able to sort of embrace those and and acknowledge them, but to make a judgment about them is so strange. And that comes from adults. Kids just don't do that. Well, it's been uh, a great discussion, pretty heavy. I really appreciate you guys sticking it out and going down this road with us. Also taking it in a little bit of a different direction, looking at the future, talking about different species and how people will be treated and rights and freedoms. And I think this was a really good start to this season because it covers a lot of the topics that we're going to be covering in the next few weeks. And and we might dig into this racism thing a little more specifically in the future, because I know that uh, Star Trek did actually cover this quite a bit. I'd like to talk about how our views of racism have developed over the years, sort of a little bit of what I shared earlier. And we'll probably discuss this flesh and blood episode a few more times too. So if you didn't get a chance to watch it, do watch it because one of the parts of it that I want to dig into was where one of the holograms was programmed to have faith. And T touched on this a little bit, which is like, what is you that isn't programmed? So we'll probably dig into that a little bit more when we talk about faith as well. So before we wrap up, did you have anything to add, T? Because we've already talked about what's coming up in the next couple of weeks. No, just that I'm excited for the the upcoming topics of, you know, starting with the evolution of language and then um, moving into sentience. I think it's going to be a really exciting uh, January, and I'm really excited to see what we... Uh, come up with for in February and just super excited to be back and thank you to the whole crew guys are amazing yeah it was a really great room today lots of people on stage lots of new people I'm gonna thank you for coming to Star Trek Sundays this is season two episode one and we hope to see you next week see you next week everyone aren't you gonna say it T Uh, live long and prosper (laughs) That's right. Okay, take care, everybody.